Post-production for this episode of Fruit Bowl is sponsored by Spaces, the new chat-based app for queer people to connect over all the things they're passionate about. And now, for a limited time, you can invest in Spaces for as little as $100 via a WeFunder campaign. Help support this much-needed, safe, digital platform for the LGBTQ community. Look for Spaces in the App Store and learn more about how you can invest by visiting QueerSpaces.com. Welcome to Fruit Bowl, an oral history of queer sex. I'm your host and the creator of Fruit Bowl, Dave Quantic. While listening to this episode, you might wonder why Zachary is going into such detail about BDSM and fisting and piss play, and the answer is because I asked him to. I created Fruit Bowl so that we could explore these topics together with people who are passionate and educated about them. You might guess that Zachary has a professional background in public health and sex advocacy, as well as being a past employee at Doghouse Leathers, our very awesome queer-friendly sex shop here in Seattle. You know, it's that place you go that you find in every major city for your harness, your lube, your jockstrap. You know, the place you go when your VHS machine just isn't playing right and you need to, uh, you know, clean that VHS tape head. Wink, wink. So if you find yourself interested in some of the topics that Zachary talks about, I encourage you to educate yourself about best practices when negotiating kink and finding partners who are willing to talk about a scene before you actually get down to business. Because this is what responsible kink players do. I know because I've interviewed them, and many of them are my good friends. Kinksters are often the smartest people when it comes to establishing boundaries and playing safe, because they know that if they don't, someone could get hurt, both physically and emotionally, and sex should be fun not traumatizing. That being said, I know that random hookups with strangers are common for many people, gay and straight, myself included. Zachary describes one such hookup where he told a friend where he was going and what he was up to before heading out. This is a very good idea and it's why it's so important that we talk about sex and have friends who don't judge us when we want to have a little frisky time. Okay, this concludes Daddy Dave's Sexy Time Tips. I don't want to brag, but I'm something of a Spaces impresario. In addition to the four Fruit Bowl branded Spaces, I am also the creator of the Feeling My Selfie social space, as well as one called Dogs 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 for bragging about our pooches, and also a space dedicated to divas, creatively titled Divas. So check out my spaces and come say hi. Thanks to Robin M for becoming our latest patron. We are still hovering around $300 that our patrons contribute each month for things like website maintenance, production costs, and promotional efforts. Recently, I used patron money to help pay performers for our Passion Fruit event in August. Patrons receive early access to episodes, behind-the-scenes updates, as well as access to video clips from current and past episodes that are not available to the general public. Visit fruitballpodcast.com donate for more information on how you can help. Thanks to Bailey Becker, the editor of this episode. And just a heads up, Zachary's interview was recorded in 2019, but he chose not to do a follow-up interview. Okay, that's enough from me. Now, here's Zachary. And I was like this emotional mess. And I was like, guys, I have something to tell you. And they're like, what? I'm like, I'm kinky as fuck. They're like, what do you mean? And I was like, I don't know. I'm a submissive and I love to be beaten and tied up and pissed on. And they're all like, 
okay, why why do you feel like it's bad? And you're like, because it's just like, it's not normal. And they're like, well, you're meeting people who are into it, right? And I go, yeah, well, then it's fucking normal. This is Fruit Bowl, an oral history of queer sex. My name is Zachary and I am 24 years old. I graduated high school in the spring of 2013. This episode was recorded in August of 2019 in Seattle. I am from Jackson, Michigan, about 70 miles west of Detroit. Well, growing up, Jackson always kind of had signs around that it was the birthplace of the Republican Party. I have never heard whether or not that's confirmed or whatever, but they do have the signs up there, which is interesting. Fairly conservative, but still kind of like liberal. Um, Michigan does have like a Bible Belt part of it, but it also, um, you have like Detroit there, which is like, he's still that heavy industrial um, kind of big city feel. So kind of a mix of those two, I would say. I knew queer people through my um, now sister-in-law. Um, at the time, it was my brother's girlfriend. Um, and she had um, some queer friends that would come around and hang out every once in a while. Other than that, the only other mention coming like from my parents would be like some aerobics instructor my mom worked with. <laughs> or my mom's cousin back in like the 60s um, was gay. And um, he had a friend, and the friend was allowed to come over. Um, unfortunately, I believe that cousin passed away from cancer. Well, I'm not sure if it was actually cancer, so. But other than that, I had some friends that were queer growing up, but for the most part, there wasn't many of us. I remember one time, I like had woken up at like 6 a.m. on a Saturday to like watch cartoons and was downstairs, and I just kept hearing this creaking upstairs from my parents' bedroom and like had this concept being like, that must be sex. I don't not, I don't understand what it's entailing, but I know that's most likely like 90% sure that's what's happening. The creaking alone, yeah. And I was like, I wonder if they know I'm down here. <laughs> like I didn't think I did understand, like I, I knew it's sex that just like two people come together, but like other than that, I didn't understand there was a bunch of thrusting involved and like insertiveness and you know, I'd, fuck, didn't even know what anal was or even considered that an option. My parents never really had the talk or conversation about the birds and the bees, sex, you know, it was all really kind of hush-hush Midwest repression. I think the first kind of like introduction to like puberty and like, you know, growing pubes and having like wet dreams kind of came from just like public school and having that talk, I think it was around fifth grade. And then I came home from that and I remember my mom asking if I had any questions that were like unresolved. And I was like, no, I think I pretty much understand what's about to happen to my body. And she followed up with, cause you know your father is not gonna wanna have that conversation with you. That would make him too awkward or uncomfortable or something like that. Um, and I was like, interesting, yeah. So the only time it ever came up with my dad was remember to wrap it. Yeah, that's the term you used. Um, and what's funny is it like, it was definitely more in the connotation of me having sex with a girl because sex is for procreation, um, or that can be the, the result of it. And it's like, so obviously I was not having sex with girls. <laughs> I do know that when my brother and sister-in-law started dating in high school, they had bought them condoms, but it was like super hush-hush around me for some weird fucking reason. Not like I wouldn't find them eventually, like in his bathroom drawer. I think the first time that I had the concept of sex had to have been from like watching um, that 70s show growing up. There was a lot of innuendos in that. Probably had to have been around like sixth grade. And I think the first thing that was like, oh, that's really hot, oh God, was watching the Titanic. <laughs> and the whole part like, oh, draw me Jack. I just were like, oh, that's really hot to like have someone draw you. And then obviously, you know, everyone's going through puberty, like all your guy friends are too. And so you start having conversations about things or cracking jokes about people. Or I think the first time I ever had heard of masturbation um, was referred to as jerking off. But by the time I had heard the term applied to it, I'd already been doing it. And like, and that just ha kind of happened naturally with me. I was like, oh wow, this feels really good to like touch my penis. I wonder if I keep doing this more, what's gonna happen? And I remember getting really close to the climaxing for like one of the first times and I like stopped myself. 
because I was like terrified of what was about to happen for some reason, like I was gonna die. And yeah, and then I was on the bus one day and I heard this guy refer jerking off. I was like, what the fuck is jerking off? He's like, yeah, you know when you like grab your penis and like, and I was like, oh, that's what it's called. I didn't even know it had a word or like a term described to it. <laughs> And so other than that, it was definitely mostly porn and like cracking jokes with friends. Um, and then whatever else you get like tidbits here throughout like classes you have. I feel like in high school and like middle school, they give you a bunch of books to read and it's always like death and sex are like the main points and drivers throughout the whole story. They like scare the shit out of you, especially like when you're reading the Scarlet Letter and you're like, okay, adultery's bad, okay. <laughs> But it sounds like she had a great time. <laughs> so what was that, like 11? First time like watching porn, pretty much. I feel like that's for most people. And so like that's kind of where I like started that whole just like internet hole right there. Um, and obviously started with straight porn. I would sneak down to my family computer and we all had our own usernames. Thank you um, Windows for allowing us to have that privacy. And yeah, and started looking things up and that eventually led to looking at guys in underwear. So I kind of had a hint that I was gay, um, but then I was like, oh, like type in sex into Google or something like that. And yeah, lo and behold, penis going into vagina. <laughs> For most guys, very similar. Like you watch straight porn and then you start questioning yourself am I really into that vagina? Or am I really into the penis that's penetrating it? And you kind of have that like conversation with yourself and then you might, then I'm like, okay, well let's see if I put two vaginas together, how do I feel about that? Um, or then like, okay, well, that complete opposite, let's put two dudes together and how do I feel about that? And I don't remember exactly like what the first gay porn I had watched, but I do remember it was kind of like, I gave myself a nice overview, like this is what the course is gonna be about. So I saw it all, you know, mutual masturbation, jacking off, anal sex, group sex. Hadn't gotten to the kink part yet, and I was like, I had to convince myself, well not convince myself, but it was like getting comfortable with the idea of like, okay, I can definitely do mutual masturbation, like I can get into that. I don't know if I could like head, like, and I was really adamant about like wanting to get off to things that I could see myself doing in the future. And then so like, it was kind of like this inverted like relationship, like the more I kind of like watched more like mutual masturbation and then like, you know, a tidbit of here of like maybe some oral, the less kind of like straight porn I was watching. But however, again, that Midwestern repression was still kind of like beat down in me and, you know, going to church every week and, you know, you hear people make jokes about fags and stuff like that. Um, and so I remember there was one point in my life where I was like, I'm not going to watch gay porn ever again. Um, and I made it like six months. I was really impressed with myself. But man, the adrenaline rush compared to watching gay porn versus straight porn, so much better. It made the orgasm so much better. First guy I like fell for, he was really sweet, um, he was really kind, and he also, again, kind of had that like, fuck you, I'm gay, and get over it attitude. And it was the first time seeing a gay guy like that, that was not afraid. He, um, we shared kind of similar interests, you know, he was in choir and I was in band, and he was like one of his school's best swimmers, and I was one of our school's like top runners. And so we kind of had this like mutual growing up experience, especially in the same um, state and pretty much like same location, same family dynamic, um, other sibling, pretty open and accepting parents, but not un like not understanding like how queer life could be for a gay person. And so I think we were able to kind of confide in each other and like stay up late and Skype with one another and just share a lot of those early things. And you know, when I first met him, I wasn't out yet. And so it was definitely kind of like, I don't know how to go about this and scared to do it kind of like alone. And it was just kind of having him to like help push me off the ledge um, made him even more attractive. Unfortunately, never got to suck that cock. Really? <laughs> no, I only got to kiss him, but he was my first kiss, so. We never had the opportunity, uh, so we never fooled around because living 40 minutes away, again, having that conversation with my parents, I met somebody, I think, and then having to answer, how did you meet them? And so, you know, even when we were like in the car and we kissed for the first time, you know, as much as I would have loved to suck that dick and fuck it, see the big old bottom. It was kind of like, I guess, this respect thing. Like I only 
I guess I was maybe romanticizing like this heteronormative monogamous like thing with him and being like, oh, we're gonna go through these stages. Now I wish I would have just done the gay handshake and fucked. And yeah, we just never went there. And even though when we like Skyped and stuff, I think I attempted to show him my dick once over Skype. I'm blanking on whether or not he showed me his dick over Skype, but we never jerked off over Skype, which is fascinating because I definitely have done that too at the time um, with guys. And I just never wanted to go there with him. And then I don't know if maybe that's why he dropped me like it was hot because then he found like some other swimmer and diver in Ohio that was four hours away. And I was like, I'm 40 minutes, what the fuck? But okay, I'll still be your friend. Thanks for friend zoning me, asshole. And we do not talk to this day. <laughs> Yeah, and just fizzled out. I guess he didn't feel that same emotional connection or as intense as it was. And I think I was still really new of coming out, and I think that made him a little wary. He's like, you have a lot more experiencing to do. And he had already had a relationship prior and wasn't a virgin. I still hadn't had, like, full-on anal sex with a guy yet. And so I think that was those are the things that were keeping him a little apprehensive. I almost considered going to his college. Yeah, that's how like, that's how much hormones were rushing through my system. I'm um, glad I didn't. <laughs> One of the first times like actually touching another guy's hard dick was the first guy I ever fooled around with. And we were at his parents' house and we were watching porn and his brother fell asleep, his twin brother. And then our other friend fell asleep and we're sitting there watching porn, and I was just like, fuck, I wish I could jerk off. He's like, oh, me too. And then it was kind of this like subtle conversation of like, do you want to do it alone? Or are you okay with doing it together? Like, all that sort of thing. And I was like, I'm fine with doing it together. <laughs> Super sly. And then he's just like, okay, but like, can I see your dick first? And like, his twin brother is sleeping right there. Our other friend is sleeping right there. And I'm like, sure. <laughs> So we like walk over to the fireplace and like pull him out and just like remember seeing his like hard dick, his bush, and he had a really thick dick. And then like we both like subtly like grabbed each other's there and kind of like jerked each other off. And then like one of the, like our friend or the brother like moved in their sleep or something like that. And I'm like, whoop, jump back and are like on the ground sort of thing, like pretending we're still watching porn. And then again, like, oh God, I wish I could jerk off. Me too, I'm like alone, solo. Um, and I was like, I'm down to do it with you. Like, do you want to go to your like room to do it? And he's like, totally. Everything in his room was camo <laughs> and like that hunting orange. It was awesome. And yeah, and we like jerked off. It didn't last very long because, yeah, too excited. I remember I came first. And then like maybe a minute or two later he came. And so yeah, and then that kind of like him and I fooling around went on from 12 until 16 like every six months or so. I'd go to church on Saturdays, forgive my sins, and then hit him up to come over. <laughs> the second time we had hung out, it was just the two of us alone for the night, and that turned into like more oral and stuff like that. Um, and most of the times it had been like oral and jerking off together. And then uh, the only time he ever tried to do like anal was, <laughs> we had a high school gym class together and we had just ran the presidential half mile. And we had, it was like fifth period gym and I wanted to shower off because I was super sweaty. And so we're still really uncomfortable with like my body and especially like around other guys. Like am I gonna get turned on in here? Like I just don't want other guys to see my dick because that might get me excited. And so I kind of like waited for everyone to leave and I hopped in the shower. And the nice thing about the gym locker room, you have to have a key to open it. So um, you could like pull it shut and it would lock and then the gym teacher would have to come unlock it. So I'm showering and like the last person leaves and like lo and behold, he's still in the shower, like in the locker room. He's like, hey, it's <laughs> like, sup? And he's like, oh, can I join you? And I was like, fuck yeah. Like, did you shut the door? And he's like, yeah, give me one second. Goes and shuts the door, strips off. And we're like in the high school locker room shower, just like jerking each other off. And it's like, we have like maybe like seven minutes before the bell rings and we have to go to the next class. And like at this point, like, you know, we had been fooling around for like four years. So we we're definitely a little bit more like developed. Um, he played football, so he was a little bit more like ripped and I was super slender from running. And so it was just like super fucking sexy. Um, I think by then he started trimming his pubes too. And he has like this cute little mole right there. And he has like thick dick curved up, oh, great. And then I remember he tried to like stick it in like dry. 
super uncomfortable. Like, I was like, what the fuck is he doing? Like, has he ever had, like, anal sex before? Like, what? And so, like, basically, I was, he tried to do that, and I was like, oh, God, I wish, but no, and, like, pull it out. And I was just like, but it was also kind of painful, and, like, I guess kind of a hint towards my, like, sadistic side. I, like, kind of pinned him up against the wall and kind of, like, gave him a treatment of his own medicine and being like, this is how uncomfortable it is. Yeah, and then it was just like, okay, I'm getting, I got a little uncomfortable for, like, the amount of time because at that point I still hadn't come out yet. And so it was just, like, the last thing I needed to do is both of us walking out of, like, the locker room together and both of our hair is wet and shit like that. And it's like, I, that's undue, like, attention towards me who clearly has a little bit more of a feminine nature and him having more of this, like, you know, straight, hetero, mer kind of thing. So it's like, I don't want to draw attention to that. We eventually had a falling out, and I get a text from him calling me a faggot, um, saying I'm going to beat your ass if any, like if you say it's true and all this stuff. And I was just like, I don't know what to fucking do. I don't know what to do. And it was like one of those moments being like, I'm going to fucking own this. Like, I didn't say I'm sorry. I, like, nothing like that. I was just like, one, if you touch me, I will, I will not, like, say it's a lie. Like, I will adamantly tell everyone it's the fucking truth. Fucking two, dude. I told your girlfriend what your dick looks like and she confirmed I was correct. So like, I'm not a fucking liar. And three, like, what the fuck? Like, who cares? And so I remember the next day going to school, walking through the cafeteria. There he is with all his bros. And I look at him, he looks at me straight, he has a straight face and I'm like laughing, walking by, being like, you're not gonna fucking do shit. You're a pussy, like stop. And so for like the rest of high school, all of his friends like gave him shit for that rumor, even though they all kind of knew it's true. For him, I honestly don't think bisexuality was ever on the table as an option. I think for me, I had always kind of had this hope that he might realize that he's bisexual. And there's still part of me that thinks he might be and that he has that, like, that mid Midwestern repression still there. And so, yeah, so it was, again, it was just like, kind of like awesome in the sense that it was like truly like reflecting back on it like an animal-like experience. And obviously, yeah, there was like some conversations to be had of like expectations and whatnot, just like jerking off and BJ sort of thing. But again, it was like so minimal. It wasn't like, you know, we we're confessing our fantasies to each other, fucking quiet and boring. And this is why I won't ever go for straight boys. <laughs> I think the benefits for me was one, it's like starting to figure out what I like and don't like sexually. What I don't and do like in a sexual partner. I definitely think I was allowed to perfect my methods. I think that, you know, when you have your own dick, you're like, God, I'm really curious what this feels like and that feels like, but I can't really do it to myself. And so it's like when you have kind of this blank canvas to kind of play around with, it, it helps you learn. Oh, that's how I relax my, like, my throat. And when you're not like, having a bunch of thoughts of being like, oh my God, does he like this? Does he not like this? You're able to just like also kind of just relax. And I think that helps like muscles relax. So I definitely think that helped me have my amazing deep throat skills I have today. Cause it, it didn't go anywhere else. Like we never kissed and like jerking off. Like it's really kind of hard to mess that one up. I think the thing that I learned best playing around with him was just being able to gargle on a cock. <laughs> I think the benefits of the social aspect and the experience that we went through when the truth got out kind of allowed me to strengthen that resiliency muscle that, again, I think all of us queers have. And when we get a chance to flex it and show it and how powerful it can be, it's kind of that like reassurance is, no, I, I fucking belong here. Like, you don't fuck with my existence and my experience. And like, first and foremost, that's like probably the most beneficial aspect I got out of that entire experience, even though like it was really shitty and I remember feeling really crappy about myself, would not change it at all. Like it was the perfect experience for me. I came out in high school, um, let's see, I was 16, so that would be eight years this fall. I came out by writing a letter to my mom. I had uh, been using Grindr. I'm that, <laughs> I'm that jail trap, sorry guys. Um, but I think a lot of guys actually do around the age of 16, 17 will get on Grindr just to have that experience. And I met a guy through Grindr who lived like 40 miles south of me. He's 17 or 18 and was like head over heels for him. And I'm like, holy fuck, I've never felt this way for another guy. Um, but I know I can have sex with a guy, but can I have this emotional connection with him? 
Um, and I did, and that was like, holy shit. Um, so once I realized that, like within a week, I wrote a letter to my mom um, being like, hey, I'm gay, uh, please don't tell dad. Um, I kind of want to do this like one at a time. And of course, so I drove to school by then, and so like both of my parents had left, and I knew that my mom would come home before my dad, so if I put the letter at her bedside first, I knew she would see it before he would. And so I came home, and my mom had gotten the letter, and I was in my room, I remember waiting for her to come talk to me, and I heard her like walk past my room, go down the steps, go to the basement, and I'm like, fuck. She's going to talk to my dad about it. Um, and I remember like sitting there like freaking the fuck out, not knowing what exactly their response was gonna be towards me. Um, I knew they were accepting of gay people, but I didn't know what to expect of like their actual son being gay. Like, you know, did they ever predict that? Like, I know I'm a little flamboyant, and a little feminine, and I have a lot more girlfriends and guy friends. Like, it shouldn't be that big of a shock, right? And so I remember my mom came back upstairs and she's like, so the letter, first thing I wanna say is don't you ever think you can put something between me and your father? I was like, damn, front, all right. Um, but my father did not come upstairs to have a conversation with me, um, which kind of also kind of hurt because she went down there and had the conversation with it, but he didn't, you know, couldn't come up and, you know, be that same force with her. Um, so that was kind of a little disheartening from him. Um, and then I remember, my mom's like, I don't have a problem with it. And she starts crying. She's like, but I wanted grandchildren. And like, I had a really good relationship with my parents. So like snapping back or saying something like sassy or anything like that was just like not the norm. But it was literally like a snap back and being like, um, you do know adoption is a thing. And also I could, if I have money to do it, I could do surrogacy too. She goes, yeah, but it's not the same. And I was like, okay. And then it was just like, it was kind of like, I guess, her mourning that expectation that she had for me. And also kind of just knowing other gay people growing up. Um, again, my parents were really open. And my mom had a really close friend in college who happened to pass away from um, AIDS. And that really impacted her. And I think that's what she was scared of. I think she was scared of the potential dangers being gay would put me in in this world. And yeah, she didn't want that. She just wanted love and happiness to be gay. And then she like left my room. It was really weird. And then I remember she left to go teach her an aerobics class. And then before she left, she's like, hey, can you help your dad make dinner? My father and I stood in silence as I stirred boiling water pretty much for macaroni and cheese. And he just stood next to me doing like something else on the stove and yeah, had a silence. And it wasn't until the following spring, we were driving back from Michigan State um, after touring college. And um, we were talking about like my future and how excited he was for me. My dad was super happy for me about like the future I was having, getting good grades in school. They were super excited to see what I would make of my life. And so I asked the question, you know, you never, talked to me about what I had told mom about me being gay um, last fall. We never had that conversation. I don't know what your thoughts are about it. So what are your thoughts about it? Probably one of the only times I've ever, like, my dad kind of, like, slapped me with a little bit of, like, really interesting, like, human experience, like, wisdom. And he was like, my job as a parent and as a father is to make sure you're a good person in society, that you do your job, you show up, you know, you're responsible, you give people respect. It doesn't matter who you go to bed with or you have sex with in the end of the day. And just like, I'm gonna turn my head out here and shed the one tear moment. And yeah, and so it's always been really chill. And actually what's really funny is my first pride experience was with my dad <laughs> when I moved to college in um, Eastern Washington, which was really awesome to share that kind of experience um, with him. And how supportive he was of it, you know, first time seeing a drag queen and the whole time him thinking, that's a man dropping into the splits. It was just like math equations just like out of his head. I was 17, junior year had just finished. I had started seeing another guy with a massive cock, like nine and a half inches. He only lived like maybe a 20 minute drive away. Anyways, I remember we were fooling around one time in his bed and his mom wasn't there. And by the good grace of like 
all the gods in the world, all nine inches just miraculously like slipped in and we didn't have any lube. Yeah, so that's like how much pre-cum was on my like asshole. <laughs> and it like slid in and I just like, rem like clearly can just like remember being like, huh, you don't have any lube. He's like, no, and I was like, okay, this not happening. However, it was like later that summer, I was like, fuck it, I'm just gonna like fuck somebody. And then I reached out to this other guy that I knew who went to my school who was gay, and we had a sleepover, and he had already lost his virginity. He was like, yeah, I'm down to fuck, why not? And it was the most awkward thing ever. I wouldn't even refer to it as Pound Town. Um, I don't even think I went to Pound Town until college. <laughs> I had moved 2,000 miles away from home um, and was living in Eastern Washington. I chose the all men's dorm. And the best part about it was, is even though you had a roommate, you had a door between the two of you. And granted, I'd have to walk my trick and myself through my roommate's room to my room. He didn't give a flying fuck. Um, most of the time, because he's asleep. <laughs> and so yeah, and so we just bring guys over and being like, we just have to generally be quiet, but go for it. And so that was a lot of fun. And just like having like that setup allowed me to host a lot. And so, God, I don't know how many guys I had sex with there. Even for a town of like 32,000, like it's a miraculous that I racked up the number I did in four years. But however, there's always fresh meat every semester, so. The kink started coming in towards the end of college. I was just tired of boring ass fucks. And it just like started coming across like more like armpit fetishes and like, I barely wear deodorant, and so it's like that kind of like, I was definitely aroused by my own scent. And then uh, eventually it kind of, I started coming across a lot of piss play. Like I would say that was like my first, like one of the more extreme fetishes that a lot of people are like, whoa. And I think I just got into that because I think one time I, I don't know if I was a little drunk or a little stoned or something in bed and I was just playing around. I was like watching a video and this guy was like pissing on himself and I found that really hot. And then like eventually like covered myself in piss and like my sheets and my mattress and I was like, oh fuck, now I gotta deal with this, but worth it. And then it was kind of like, where do I meet guys that are into this? I remember one of the times I flew home, I think it was for Christmas, and it's the oldest guy I ever played with. I think he was 64 or 66. Super hairy, like just hairy all over the place, like, um, granddaddy sort of type and he was really into piss play. I met a couple guys here and there that would be into it, but it'd be like, oh, get in a shower. And they were still a little bit pee shy and trying to figure it out. And then one Easter, there was this frat guy at the University of Idaho who I'd been chatting with and he was kind of kinky, still kind of in the closet. And he's like, totally. And so go into these woods, go off the trail, hike up this huge hill into the blue sky, like no clouds and just like fuck and, um, rubbing dirt on each other and just getting down and dirty and then like finish it up with like just really like I don't, I don't want to drink it yet I was still kind of like again like grazing into it just like piss on me I would fucking love that um so yeah so that was kind of like one of my first piss like play experiences One time in college, this guy fucked me with Astroglide and I couldn't bottom for a year because every time I had a bowel movement, I would bleed. Yeah. Um, it's kind of miraculous I'm a fisting bottom now. <laughs> and so, yeah, coming from like an experience like that and boring sexual experiences and already had some group play experience, just the aspect of negotiating and communicating was really, um, I guess, honed in and kind of made me ready for kink. And that's, that's like when I knew, I was like, kink is for me. I'm like, ugh. My first like hard on BDSM, like hood, ball gag, strap down, which is a great story. <laughs> I had just found out what recon was and recon is the gay fetish dating app. And I had helped a friend move back to Colorado for the summer and I stayed at her parents' house and they went to some family function for the weekend before I like um, flew back um, to Washington. And they let me their lend me their car. And already before I even got to Colorado, I had scoped the area on recon. And there was this guy there that like had all the gear. And I was like, this is gonna be amazing. And so I'm like, hey, I'm free tonight. Like they're gone. I have a car. Like what's your address? He gives me the address, and I'm like looking at it on the map. And I'm like, 
oh, that looks like some country road shit. And so it's like, I don't know, 10.30, pitch black. I'm driving down this country road in the middle of nowhere, Fort Collins, Colorado. And I turn off the dirt road and I come up to a fucking gate and I have to put a code in. I put a code in and I keep driving. He's like, oh, I'm in the, um, like, it's not like an actual, like a farmhouse, I guess, like an additional house or something. And so I go there, um, we sit down, Colorado, smoke some weed. And like, this guy just pulled out fucking hockey bags of fetish gear. And he was just like, I was like, this is a paddle, this is a pain stick, this is a ball gag, this is a hood, this is this, this is that. He's like, did you bring the poppers? It's <laughs> like, uh, yeah. I like, had educated myself enough into like kink and consent and how to play safe a little bit. And so like at the time I did, you know, green means go ahead, yellow means you're approaching a limit with me, red means fucking stop and step away. And so, like, we started making out, and I sucked him off, and then he put me down on a fuck bench, a fisting bench, and began, like, strapping my limbs down. And I remember I looked at him and being like, oh, God, what exactly, how did I exactly phrase it? It was something along the lines of, please just don't fucking kill me. Something like that. Like, I am in, like, the most vulnerable thing, and that's, like, all I can think about. And he handled it really well. He's like, we're both going to get off doing this. We're both going to enjoy this. And I was like, okay, great. Um, and so, yeah, so he had my arms strapped down. I had my back, my neck strapped down. My legs strapped down. I had a hood and ball gag on. And he was, like, spanking me and fucking me and spanking me and fucking me. When he was done, I kind of was, like, had enough, which didn't take very long. That's one thing I learned with kink is... It's kind of a progression to build up to doing more intense things for longer periods of time. And then he took me off of there and threw me up on his bed, which was like an old like wagon, which was really cool. And he threw me up there, like shackled my hands behind me and just, like fucked me until he came. And then, yeah, and then I went home and I like was driving home. I was like, I just did that. Holy fuck. Yeah. And that was like my first like actual, like I would say BDSM experience. He was a great guide. I... And that's kind of like one thing that I've noticed um, with fetish, and I gauge it by how many toys do they have, you know, what are their experience like, do they have any photos, like, what is their knowledge area? And I honestly really lucked out um, with that experience. He clearly is into like the kink community and knows people who knows him. And that's the one thing I've learned. It's a really fucking small community. So it's like, once you get a bad name for yourself, it can trickle pretty quickly. And I think the only thing I did is like, let a friend know like, hey, I'm going to do this. If you don't hear by, from me in the next few hours, then please call the police. So yeah, I was, it was real. I like still am like, oh, thank God. That was such a great introduction to it all. And probably is the reason why I'm like super kinky now. Um, just because it ramps up that like um, aspect of sex, it makes it more intense. Like, as much as you know, just like regular penetrative anal sex and oral and all that is, it's just like I want that adrenaline rush. I want it to be really exciting. I want it to be a unique experience for both of us, and that's what kink allows me. It really helped out, yeah. And I'm like actually like kind of amazed how well it worked out and like my ability to you know voice my limits and concerns and just handle myself in that situation. But I think a lot of the things that like led me up to that was just like having a fuck ton of sex before then, like a lot of fucking sex. And knowing I like it a lot rougher, these are the issues that come with a lot more rough sex and kind of like being knowledgeable of that. the best like go-to move. Um, it's really hard to answer that when you're like super kinky. I guess for me, it would be either being able to be a submissive piss-fissing bottom and being able to kind of satisfy that with the guy, given the hand size, of course, and like measuring up. And then again, kind of like building that trust, I guess, but like being able to like submit to a guy and just go into that headspace and like completely like blank out the world and being able to be their play toy. And like, just kind of like, especially when a fist goes in, you get like this like, duh, like face across, like it's just like your fist face. And you just become like a different person and you're like super in the moment, super mindful. 
And then just, like, the look on the Dom's top, like, the Dom's face, like, as he's punching, and, like, he just hears, like, the air just getting punched in and coming out and punching in. Like, it's getting really noisy, and it's not necessarily, like, my voice or my moaning. It's my hole that's getting super noisy. And so, that, like, I guess that's my best move as, I guess, a bottom. I think then the flip is, like, the complete flip side is as a top and as a dom, more so being able to help guys who are just learning. I actually, like, I don't really care to play with experienced guys. I think they get kind of cocky about themselves. Um, congrats, you can take it past the elbow, but you know, we all started somewhere, and I think it's way more fun to be the person breaking the bottle on the ship and like, set sail, you're welcome. Um, than just being the guy just shoveling the coal and being the maintenance person. Um, and so, yeah, so, like, the flip side is, like, being able to talk a bottom through that experience. And again, I have really small hands, so it's not, like, super difficult. I think I usually can get my hands in after, like, three, four sessions. Um, sometimes two, depending on how much bottoming experience they have and how comfortable they feel. But then also just being able to bring, like, be the person that helps them get to that headspace and acceptance of, like, the moment and keeping them there and... Yeah, so it's just like being able to take that charge. So it's like kind of like this flip side thing. And so that's kind of like my gambit there. Working at a sex shop, especially a gay sex shop, like, you know, people see the giant dildo, so having to explain it first. So usually the first thing I do um, is make sure the person understands the rational choice that a person makes to be a fisting bottom. Um, first and foremost, your asshole's full of glorious muscles. And what we know is stretching your hamstring, doing yoga feels fucking great and is good for you both physically and mentally. So that should apply to your anal muscles as well. And so that's why it's possible to get fisted and you can derive a lot of pleasure. Um, it is 80% mental, 20% physical. And then like position wise, like I think the best position for someone that's just getting started is on all fours, specifically with the ass higher than the head and which will allow basically just the colon to be like the attached part right there so there's not like all this like weight coming down and that's kind of like the one issue with just getting fisted on your back is all of like the weights right there so all of those internal organs are right there so the colon can't fully expand when you're inverted like that it's much easier to get in there kind of push things open and then like depending on how comfortable the guy can be like you can kind of do a little bit of like airplay and like blow air into it and i think the first time a guy ever did that to me, I was like, oh my god, I'm like a fucking balloon. This is amazing. It's again, really relaxing. And then so it's like when getting ready, it really helps to remind the bottom, don't hold your breath. Because all that's gonna do is not allow blood to flow, your muscles are gonna constrict, it's gonna make it much more difficult for me and a lot more uncomfortable for you. And so, yeah, and so start playing. I usually start with like some sort of cream base, like elbow grease or boy butter. And then um, once it gets all kind of nice lubed up, or like you can go with Crisco, good old old school. I don't like Crisco, I don't care for the smell of it. And then uh, you can start bringing in like things like J Lube, which is veterinary lubricant, which gets all like stringy and fun to play with. And you're just like, mmm. <laughs> and yeah, and so you just like lather that up and you start like working in there. And the best thing to do is get as much lube inside as possible because the um, anal lining is very thin and very easy to tear even just by a penis. And so just getting in there and being able to make that cup. And then kind of being able to, again, like make a little cup for um, the lube to slip in internally, like being able to pour it in and fall it in there and then being able to like get it around in. And eventually what'll happen is like, you'll start getting like an internal gape and like, it's really easy just to put your hand in there and kind of like force the hole to gape and then pour it in and then it makes it so much easier. And that's how you're able to get a little bit deeper and go like down to here. But if you're really talented and can like just stay gaped and it makes it really easy for the top, but that's like advanced stuff. Um, and so yeah, and then it's just like going slow, and then as a top, like, be mindful of your own breathing and your own energy that you're putting into it. I think a really big important thing, again, for the bottom being on all fours is they don't have to look at the top necessarily in the face, because it's like, especially if you don't know what to expect and all these things, and again, that's kind of where the trust aspect is. If you're like not, you don't really trust like looking into their eyes, you haven't built that trust yet to like stare right into their soul, but you trust them enough to like try to fist you, then turn away and just like trust them to like kind of breathe with you, remind you to breathe, you know, giving you some pats on the ass. The issue I think with a lot of um, guys that are learning, and I did it myself, is you just rely too heavily on poppers to like relax and loosen you up. 
And then what happens with that is you clog your nose and you can't breathe. And so then it's like, it cuts the session short. So it's like trying to find that fine balance and like every bottom I've noticed goes through this. They're like, oh, I can get the fist in, that's great. And then they just wanna pop her up like crazy. And then they're like, oh, and it's like really struggling. And it's just like, you need to like just relax and like be okay with like the first 10, 15 minutes of it being really slow, just to open yourself up. Like eventually you'll be able to like slip a fist in and like, two minutes or under a minute, guilty. Um, but again, that like took like making sure I get fisted once a week and play solo by myself. And playing solo is super important. It never has to be heavily intense. It can always be like slow and enjoyable. Just like progress through all the toys you spent hundreds of dollars on. And that's usually kind of, you know, building in a training regiment, making sure you see the bottom regularly, talking to them. And then the probably the most important, after it's all said and done, aftercare. And that's for both the top and the bottom. The bottom needs it because they feel really vulnerable. They feel kind of broken down. It's very intense. It's, I think it's very spiritual actually being fisted just because you're just like, you have a lot of rush of emotions and release of tension and all of that. And so you just kind of need to be held and like brought back down to this level. And the fucking top needs it because I might have hurt you and I don't want to hurt you. I want to bring you pleasure and I want to bring obviously a little bit of pain into it, but not like the pain where you're not enjoying it. And I hear from guys where, you know, they don't want to do aftercare because they haven't built that trust because they just want some guy to come over and fist them silly and then just like leave like it's some like hookup. And it's just like, it's not a penis. Like this is, you can do fucking damage and show some fucking care for each other. Um, it's a journey, there's no end goal with it. Again, like trying to bring in a lot of concepts from yoga, especially if someone's familiar with that, is there's no end game with yoga. It's, it's a constant practice. It's a constant like dedication. Kink is a community. I just honestly love the fisting community. It's, it's where I belong. It's like definitely like if I had to like subsection myself, that's the people I wanna be with. And I, I love it because a big thing I think about a lot of times when I'm getting fisted is I feel very connected to the guys that came before me who went through this experience and the connection that they're having with like the guy or the guys at a party and just kind of building that camaraderie around it. Um, especially when you start like learning um, the history of fisting is like, it's one of like the only things added to like human sexual behavior like repertoire um, in the 20th century, I believe. Um, just because with like being able to have like the lubricants that we need to do it. And so it's just like thinking about that and you think about like Robert Maplethorpe's photo with the guy like self-fisting himself and like you think about I'm not the only one experiencing this pleasure, this intense of a pleasure and the camaraderie and the trust building and the love and caring that, you know, you know, everyone can have sex, but not everybody can fist and not everyone's willing to take the time to do that. And I think that's what makes fisting so special. I guess one of the most embarrassing stories I would have and definitely took me a while to like work through a lot of like the psychological trauma I had with it would be I just turned 20 feeling myself and there was this super hot muscly um, Ukrainian grad student um, in college and we'd hooked up like once or twice fucking rough big fat uncut uncut European cock I love like foreigners and guys with accents. Like I don't care what language you're speaking, speak it the whole time, whatever. Um, and we had like this wild, crazy sex, and you know, probably like, one of the first times too, and starting getting into more like barebacking, and of course, and then I like went and got tested like a couple days later, being like, oh, it's about that time. And like thinking, oh, like I, I don't have anything. He probably doesn't have anything, like you know. And then I found out I had oh, fuck gonorrhea or chlamydia or something like that. And so I texted him. Was like, hey, you're gonna need to go get treated. Um, blah 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 blah. And he like fucking blew up on me. Like one of the sexiest guys. He was really hard to engage socially, but I didn't give a fuck. That dick was worth it. And like, I also knew he was like super kinky too. And I was like, I was wanting to kind of build that connection with him and I ruined it. And one of the times I logged into Grindr after that, like a month later, I had some random, non, no faceless fucking profile message me being like, everyone knows you have like chlamydia and herpes. 
And like, again, it was like one of those like repression moments where it's just like, how do I detach myself from an organism, like the mental kind of like, you're a shitty person, Zachary, you're a shitty person. Why don't you get, why aren't you wearing condoms, blah, 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 blah. And so it took me a while to kind of like work through it. And eventually like, I've just gotten to the point that like, I'm actually super fascinated by STDs um, for the fact that they're organisms, that their environment is completely dependent on human sexual behavior. And I think that is like, fucking crazy and that evolution chose for that to allow them to do that is just mind-boggling and that really it's like it's just it exists and you can't good or bad isn't really a judgment call here it's just get it fucking handled um and just be you know smarter and get yourself tested and you know don't listen to faceless profiles I think the thing that's different with sex versus now and when I came out is there's so much more to sex than we're actually taught. I remember when I first came out and was first like hooking up with that guy in high school and like middle school, um, was that like intense adrenaline rush you get? Um, I don't really experience that now. The times I do, and I love it when I do, is when I'm in a, an unfamiliar space or a new party or maybe it's a, a group play sort of thing and there's a lot more unknowingness that can happen. So I think that's kind of like the biggest change is that there isn't that constant like thump, 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 thump. And then just like sexually wise, like the aspect of, you know, I'm not doing kind of a heteronormative, like my goal isn't heteronormative sex. I want to have fucking queer sex. I want to be kinky. I want to do the things that aren't gonna resemble procreation. I mean, that's really easy when you don't have a vagina, so. And so it's like, it's that, and then it's also, again, I erase that whole concept of, oh, I'm gonna meet the one person, that's the only person I'm gonna have sex with. Pfft. Fucking threw that out the door, like, not too long ago. But it's like, people get actually trapped in that, and I think queer sex, that's, it can be a part of that, but I think queer sex allows us to have a lot, a smorgasbord of a menu, like, oh. You know, all the straights go to their, you know, established, beautiful, this is what you're gonna have for, you know, your entree and dessert, where like gays are like, this is a buffet! <laughs> like I can do whatever I want with anyone who consents, yeah! And I just think that's like the biggest difference. And the thing is, is like it's that difference that makes it so much more enjoyable. So much more. I listen to my straight friends talk about sex, and I'm just like sitting there like, bashing my head against the table. And I love my straight friends because, you know, a lot of like my gay friends are kind of blown away, but I can be honest about my kinks and sexualities with my friends. My straight friends from college, like I remember we had done shrooms after we graduated from college and I was like this emotional mess. And I was like, guys, I have something to tell you. And they're like, what? And I'm like, I'm kinky as fuck. They're like, what do you mean? And I was like, I don't know, I'm a submissive and I love to be beaten and tied up and pissed on. And they're all like, okay, why wh Why do you feel like it's bad? And you're like, because it's just like, it's not normal. And they're like, well, you're meeting people who are into it, right? And I go, yeah, well, then it's fucking normal. I really am mad at myself that needed like that approval from like straights that it's okay to do that. Um, Cause you don't need it. Like, it's just like being able to convince yourself like I'm meeting other people who are into it, then that's okay. And that, you know, we're consenting and we're communicating about it all. And I love my straight friends because they all come to me for advice. <laughs> like, I really want my boyfriend to do anal with me, but I can't convince him to do it. And I'm like, give it time, just keep bringing it up. If it's a, if you guys are playing on like long-term monogamous stuff, eventually it'll come up on the menu. Like, trust me, you'll get so fucking bored of the same shit, it'll come up. Like, they'll get over it, and when they do get over it, send, send them to me, I'll teach the boy all about douching, everything they needed to know. And so it's like, that's, I think, kind of like the enjoyable part about being honest about my kink and sex life with my straight friends is that they get a wealth of knowledge. I think the advice I would give my like pre-gay queer self, especially in regards to like sex and sexuality is stay the course. You're gonna have a lot of experiences that are gonna be shitty, but you're also gonna have a lot of experiences that are really fucking amazing. That's gonna make you an amazing person. And your initial like experiences in sex were labelless and keep it labelless as much as you can. Because labels have power attached to them. Taking away that ability to place a judgment and just to be and this feels good and just to experience that is like kind of like this freedom of labelism. 
Um, you look at queer, and that's like a beautiful concept right there. Is it's endless, there's no judgments about what it is, as long as there's consent and agreement and communication, it's just go with the flow and with the people you're with and love. Where it's just like heteronormative, just you just feel so fucking constrained all the time of like, oh, I don't want my neighbors to know about this and I don't want my neighbors to think of me like that. It took me, like, I say a long time to kind of like break a lot of the judgment, but it's like, it's still deep rooted in all of us. Like, why would you limit yourself when you can have all of this and it be mind expanding? I uh, went through a really uncomfortable moment last summer where um, I started abusing substances and I really relied on that and I really lost myself in that. And I think, you know, it's not, it's a tale, tale as old as time in, in the queer community that we all can find solace in it and we can eventually like lose ourselves we're a really hurt lot of people because of that heteronormative box that we all just get unchosenly placed into. And so it's like when we do break free and we're trying to live our lives and then, but we're also interacting with family and friends that are still in this box and we're afraid of their own judgment, that's like we want to escape and we just want to be queer and have more gay sex and like all that stuff and you just want to go, 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 go. You know, yes, like, Substances can be good and there's no, you know, there is, it's not a black and white issue. There isn't just, you know, sobriety and addiction. It's gray as fuck. Substances can be very enlightening. They can also be a very, very nasty trap for a lot of us. And unfortunately, us queers and within the queer community, chemsex is a real big epidemic. And as someone that works in public health, you know, that's, that's the one thing that I want to do with my life is advocate for harm reduction, advocate for people getting tested, people being smart, testing your drugs, knowing your limits, knowing when to say no, and being able to practice that. But it's like it almost comes down to you being able to pull yourself up by the bootstraps, and these are my values, and always remember as a queer person, you are resilient, you will get through this. Our community has gotten through really difficult times, and the only way we can do it is by just sticking together and always being there when one of us kind of falters. Fruitball interviews are edited for length and narrative clarity and are approved by each interviewee before being released. Visit fruitbowlpodcast.com where you can learn more about this episode, browse the episode archive, and watch original videos. Fruit Bowl collects histories from all different backgrounds and experiences. Cisgender women, trans and genderqueer individuals, black people, indigenous people, and people of color. It's only by collecting diverse stories that we can begin to see what unites us. Interested in sharing your story? Find out more about the interview process, including a full list of questions, a description of the collaborative interview process, and news about future production. Visit fruitbowlpodcast.com for links and contact information. Fruit Bowl is produced independently without any corporate media infrastructure or full-time staff. Help support our efforts to collect, archive, and share personal stories about queer coming of age by making a small monthly donation through Fruit Bowl's Patreon membership. Patrons get early access to episodes, behind-the-scenes updates, and exclusive video outtakes from each episode that are not available to the general public. Or promote your business by sponsoring an episode of Fruit Bowl or dedicate an episode to a loved one. Episode sponsorships and dedications are 100% tax-deductible through Fruit Bowl's fiscal partnership with Seattle's Northwest Film Forum. Fruit Bowl receives no direct funding from Northwest Film Forum, only the use of their nonprofit status to receive tax deductible donations. Learn more at fruitbowlpodcast.com slash donate or write Dave at fruitbowlpodcast.com for more information. Social media platforms often censor mentions or depictions of queer sexuality. Accounts are often suspended or banned outright without notice or due process. 
As a result, promoting Fruit Bowl is an uphill battle, so we rely on you to help spread the word. Tell your friends about Fruit Bowl, rate us on your podcast platform, or write a review on Apple Podcast. And, of course, you can also follow us, for now, on Twitter at Fruit Bowl Pod and Instagram and TikTok at Fruit Bowl Podcast. Fruit Bowl is created, produced, and edited by Dave Quantic. I'm Rebecca M. Davis. This has been a production of Cubed Media, all rights reserved. Thanks for listening.